listening to the Trinity Church Chester Sermon Podcast. Trinity Church Chester is a new church seeking to reach the city with the good news of Jesus Christ. And at the heart of our ministry is our Sunday worship service, in which we hear a sermon preached from a particular part of the Bible. We're glad you're listening. We'd love to see you in person at the Welsh Presbyterian Church Building on St. John Street in the city centre. We meet there every Sunday at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and you can find more details on our website trinitychester.church Come and join us as we seek to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Our next scripture reading is from Ephesians chapter 1 verses 1 to 14. So let's give our attention to the reading of God's word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Amen. This is God's word. Well, here at Trinity, we're starting a new sermon series. Our sermon series is going to take us through the next month. Uh, in the beginning of the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And there are several reasons why I think it's a good idea for us to spend some time in Ephesians at this point. Ephesians is uh, one of the four letters in the New Testament that the Apostle Paul wrote from prison. Uh, We know from the book of Acts that Paul was imprisoned by Roman authorities for preaching the gospel. And at some point during his imprisonment, he wrote this group of letters to churches uh, he knew or he knew of. And so uh, we have Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. Now, Bible scholars have for a long time noticed that there's something about Ephesians that is different from the other prison letters. Uh, Paul seems to be writing in the other prison letters to address a particular issue. Uh, Specific tensions between Jews and non-Jews in the church. Attitudes among Christians that weren't consistent with the gospel or or a life changed by the gospel and so on. Uh, But in Ephesians, there doesn't seem to be 
particular issue that Paul is writing to address. He is just writing. And as well as that, his letter to the Ephesians doesn't include a personalised greeting like his other letters do. Um, in, in, in his other letters, he'll often mention specific things that he's thankful for uh, or that he's heard about, things that are specific to the people he is writing to. But we just don't find that in Ephesians. Now, that's striking because Paul spent several years in Ephesus. He knew the church there well. He could have included a very personalised greeting in this letter if he wanted to. But the fact that he doesn't has led, again, Bible scholars to suggest that Ephesians was a letter written by the Apostle Paul, uh, not to one specific church situation, but instead it was written in such a way that the letter was to be circulated, it was to be copied and passed around the churches, uh, churches that had recently been planted. So there's good reason then to think that here is a letter containing what the Apostle Paul wanted newly planted churches to understand and grasp, regardless of their context. Here we are uh, this afternoon as a newly planted church. Some of you are very new to the Christian faith too. And so Paul's letter to the Ephesians has a particular significance for us today at this point in our lives. And so the question we want to ask then is what does Paul want these newly planted churches, these new Christians to understand and to grasp? Well, he wants them to know that this message, uh, this message that's contained in this short letter is a message that is ultimately not from Paul, but from the one who has sent Paul. Now, the word apostle means sent one. And Paul barely allows us uh, to even begin reading his letter without us realising that Paul is not writing on his own authority, but he is writing as a man who is sent. The first words we read in verse 1 are Paul, an apostle. Uh, if you were to write to the Prime Minister at 10 Downing Streets, uh, you might well receive a response. Uh, you might receive a letter through the post on uh, letter-headed paper, 10 Downing Street letter-headed paper, that is signed not by the Prime Minister, uh, but by one of the civil servants at 10 Downing Street, by one of the secretaries there. And yet the letter that you have in your hands uh, is not... Uh, does not merely contain the views held by this civil servant at 10 Downing Street, who's signed and typed this letter, but it reflects the views of the Prime Minister himself and comes to you with all the authority of 10 Downing Street. Uh, and it's as though Paul wants us to understand that something similar is going on with this letter that we hold in our hands to the Ephesians. The message that is contained here is not significant because it reflects Paul's views and Paul's theology, but it's significant because it comes to us with all the authority of the one who sent Paul. And who's that? I'll look down again at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Paul is sent by the Lord Jesus Christ. He is appointed to serve in this office uh, by the will of God himself. And now you might think that that is all very straightforward. Uh, why is that significant for us? Well, it's significant when we start to understand the content of this message. 
Look down at verse 2. Paul writes, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The message of this letter is one of grace and peace. Uh, The first part of this greeting that uh, Paul begins his letter with, it it wouldn't have been an unusual way to begin a letter in the time that Paul wrote. Uh, It would have been the custom at the time for anybody and everybody to begin a letter uh, by wishing the person they were writing to grace and peace. Uh, It would have been similar to the way we might begin an email by saying, dear so-and-so, I hope you are well, or I hope this email finds you well, uh, or something like that. But what is unusual here uh, is that grace and peace is extended to the reader by God himself. Uh, Paul, writing with the authority of heaven, he extends grace and peace from God himself to all the saints, to all who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Which is to say, simply to say, all who trust in Christ, all Christians. In fact, uh, if you have a Bible or, uh, in front of you or, or If you have the Bible on your device in front of you, Paul ends this letter in a very similar way. He begins by, on the authority of God himself, wishing God's people grace and peace. And he ends the letter by wishing God's people peace and grace. Look down at chapter 6, verse 23, if you've got that in front of you. Paul writes, Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. See, grace and peace at the beginning, peace and grace at the end. The whole letter is beautifully framed by God himself assuring his people through his apostle. That he deals with us graciously and that he desires us to know peace. What does Paul want a newly planted church to grasp? And what does he want a person new to the Christian faith to grasp? He wants us to grasp that God is a God of grace and peace. A God who gives grace and peace to all who trust in Jesus Christ. Now... Uh, Before we move on, it's worth taking a moment to reflect on what we might have expected Paul to see as being the most important thing for a new church, for people new to the Christian faith. We might have expected this letter to outline everything that we should now be doing as a church, as Christians. Might have expected Paul to say something like, great, you've put your faith in Christ, now here is what you need to do. Uh, Great, the church has been planted, now here is what you need to go and do. Well, the second half of the letter does certainly include instructions to us, but these instructions, they flow naturally from understanding that God is a God of grace and peace. This is why John Owen, the 17th century minister and Christian minister and theologian, he wrote, the greatest hindrance in the Christian life is not our lack of effort, but rather our lack of acquaintedness with our privileges in Christ. See, what we need most of all today is not first and foremost a greater effort to live changed lives as Christians. What we need most of all today is a newly planted church, 
is not first and foremost to come up with this great plan of how we're going to shape the ministry here. But what we need most of all is to get a better grasp of how God is a God of grace and peace. And how he extends grace and peace to all who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, the question becomes then, how do we come to experience the grace and peace of God himself? How does the God of grace and peace show us grace and peace? And uh, we're going to be exploring that question and how Paul answers that question in Ephesians over the next month. Uh, But today we're looking at how he begins to answer that question. And so we need to understand this subject of blessing. I wonder if you noticed that in verse 3 as we read uh, on page 6 of the order of worship. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. At three times in this one verse, Paul uses this idea of blessing. Uh, and I want us to see three things this afternoon. Uh, I want us to see that God is the blessed one. I want us to see that God is the blessed one who blesses. I want us to see that God is the blessed one who blesses with every spiritual blessing. So, first of all, God is the blessed one. Uh, Paul begins verse 3 by writing, uh, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's an interesting phrase. Blessed be God. What does it mean? Well, there are two aspects to it. The word blessed here, it means to speak well of. Uh, It's similar to the word praise. We saw that similarity in our call to worship this afternoon from Psalm 66. And the psalm begins by calling all the earth to give God praise. And then it moves to call on all peoples to bless God. Uh, You see the overlap in in verse 8 of Psalm 66. The psalmist says, Bless our God, O peoples, let the sound of his praise be heard. So you start to get a sense of uh, what Paul is referring to here. God is the one who supremely deserves to be spoken well of be blessed and one of the reasons God deserves to be blessed is because he has blessed us and in response to his blessing us we are to respond by blessing his name now one bible commentator Michael Allen he writes blessed be the name of the Lord is the refrain of the people who have themselves been blessed and so in a sense all that follows in these verses that we've read in chapter 1, is the reason for us to bless God, for us to speak well of him, for us to praise him because of all that he has done. And yet there's another aspect of what it means to say, blessed be God. And Paul is not only pointing out that God deserves to be blessed, to be praised, but he's also making the point that God simply is blessed. Um, We could interpret Paul's statement at the beginning of verse 3 as meaning blessed is God. God simply is blessed. Now you might think that we're just splitting hairs here, but the difference is important. When we say simply that God is blessed, we're saying something different than God deserves to be blessed for all that he has done for us. We're not saying that God is to be blessed because, or that God is blessed because, X, Y, Z, 
We're simply saying that God is blessed, full stop. Now what does that mean? Well, think of the word blessed again. It means to speak well of. communicates this idea of wholeness, of wellness. You speak well of somebody because they are well. It speaks of well-being. When we speak of a person being blessed, we're often referring to the fact that everything seems to be going well with their life. Their life is whole. Everything is well. They are perfectly happy, it seems to us. And that's what it means when we say simply that God is blessed. Everything is well with him. He lacks nothing. He is perfectly happy. Now, why is that significant? It's significant because when we therefore speak of blessing God, our blessing him does not add anything to him. Or to put it another way, God does not lack something that our blessing him provides. God does not lack anything. He does not need us to speak well of him in order for him to be blessed. He simply is blessed. Um, It's a tricky concept, isn't it, for us to get our head around? Because for us, we're always either more or less blessed. There's an ebb and a flow to our lives that means we're always more or less happy more or less content. But it's not like that with God. At no point does he lack anything. He is quite simply perfect. Just to give our minds a little bit of respite at this point, let me bring in Dwight Schrute from the American Office series. Uh, If you've seen that, the TV series, The Office. Um, Dwight Schrute is an aspiring salesman at a paper company called Dunder Mifflin. Uh, And his aspiration is to one day become the manager of Dunder Mifflin Branch in Scranton, uh, this small, insignificant town in the US. And one of the themes that runs through the program is Dwight Schrute being constantly overlooked and denied in his quest to become the manager. There comes a point later on in the program where Dwight Schrute is appointed acting manager of the branch. And... uh, He's appointed acting manager because the the actual manager is away. And at his appointment as acting manager, Dwight declares this. He says, I will never be happier than I am right now. I will also never be less happy. I will be at my current level of happiness for the rest of my life. Because I am the manager of the Scranton branch of Dunder Mifflin. Acting manager. (laughs) Now... Dwight Schrute communicates there something of what it means, something of what it means, for God to be blessed. There is a perfection to God that means there is no ebb and flow to his happiness. He is never more or less blessed. God will never be more blessed than he is right now. He will also never be less blessed. He will be at his current level of blessedness forever. Why? Because that is who he is. He is the blessed one. He lacks nothing. Now, what does that mean for us? It means that we must not think that God needs us to bless him. 
You know, sometimes almost subconsciously we can make the mistake of thinking that the reason God created us was so that he has creatures to bless him. As though he lacked something. As though he lacked something before creation came into being. As though he has this horrible ego that needs to be attended to. But that is not the case. Because he is simply the blessed one. And it also means that when we understand that God is the blessed one, we are freed to bless him simply because he is worthy. We are freed from any thoughts that our blessing God earns us favour with him as we, as it were, top up his level of blessing, as we stroke his ego. Because that is just not the case, that is not possible. Instead, we can bless God because he is the blessed one and because he has chosen to bless us. Which leads us into the second point this afternoon, which is much shorter. God is the blessed one who blesses. Now, when we recognise that this is who God is, that he is perfectly blessed in himself and he lacks nothing that we could give to him, we might naturally start to think that this God must surely keep himself to himself. He is perfectly self-sufficient. He does not need anything outside of himself. And so there is no need of him to concern himself with anything outside of him. And yet that's not what we see here. Paul continues his sentence in verse 3 by writing, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. You know, we're used to hearing about the super wealthy in our Western context and how they keep their wealth to themselves, uh, how they even go to extreme lengths to ensure their wealth remains theirs by avoiding certain taxes uh, and so on. And yet here is God, who is infinitely wealthy, who is himself the blessed one, and he overflows in generosity to bless his creatures. Again, it's easy for us to view God as we view the tight-handed wealthy among us. It's easy for us to slip into thinking that God really wants to restrict his blessing to himself. I wonder whether you think of God like that today, even subconsciously, even if you wouldn't say it. Perhaps you think that you need to do something to persuade God to bless you. You need to have a run of days or weeks or months of avoiding that thing you know you ought not to do. Or doing that thing that you know you ought to do but tend not to. Perhaps then you think, if you manage that, God will bless you. But that's not the picture that Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, appointed by the will of God, God's ambassador paints of the one who sent him. The one who sent him with a message of grace and peace is the one who is blessed and who generously blesses. Look down again at verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That doesn't sound like a tight-fisted God, does it? Every spiritual blessing he is blessed as with. Now why is that important for us to understand? Well, it's important because if we view God as an ungenerous God, as a God who does not love to bless, then we will inevitably reflect that in the way that we relate to others. <coughs> we will be 
tight-fisted with our resources, with our time, with our money, with our very lives. We will always be concerned about how we can hold on to what we've got rather than looking for every opportunity to bless others. And that is not a hallmark of the authentic Christian life. In Acts 20, we read an emotional goodbye from the Apostle Paul, interestingly, to the elders of the church in Ephesus, the Ephesians. He was about to leave and move on to carry on his ministry elsewhere after he spent several years with them. And he talks about the way in this speech, he talks about the way that he ministered among them. How he served in humility, how he did not count his life of any value or as precious to himself. And then he closes with these words in Acts 20, verse 32 to 35. And see if you pick up on any of these themes of generosity. He says, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Why? Because the God of all things... The blessed one has determined that blessing is found in giving rather than receiving. This is how the world works. Because this is how he has designed it. And this is how he has designed it. Because this reflects his very character. The blessed God blesses. He does not withhold himself and demand that others give to him. He blesses and he gives himself. And if we're in any doubt that this is who God is, then we need to reflect again on what took place at the cross. Where we see the supreme display of God generously giving himself. As Jesus says in Mark 10, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many Thirdly, finally, briefly as we finish, if God is the blessed one who blesses, how does he bless? How can we expect to experience this blessing? Well, in one sense, that's what we're going to be spending the next month exploring. But here in verse 3, Paul puts it like this. He says, God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We're going to be looking in more detail at what this means in the weeks ahead, but note two things that Paul says here. He says, first of all, that our blessing is in Christ. And secondly, he says that our blessing is in the heavenly places. What does that mean? It means two things. First, it means that our blessing is secure. Our blessing is in Christ. He is the one in whom all our blessing is banked. He will never lose it. He has been raised to an indestructible life. He is seated at the right hand of God in heaven. Our salvation 
Every spiritual blessing that we have been blessed with is kept secure in Christ. As long as he lives, our blessing is safe. And we do not need to worry that we will fall from favour with God and lose it. But second, it means that we do not yet fully experience our blessing. We taste the sample of it. But we don't yet get to enjoy the full feast that is ours. The life of blessing, the blessed life, can only be enjoyed in part here and now. But when Christ returns and makes all things new, we will then know it in full. And it shouldn't surprise us, should it, that we cannot experience the fullness of blessing that belongs to God's people in this life. We're just not capable of it. Um, You know, it's been widely documented in in films, in programmes, in books, that after World War II ended, uh, and the horror of the various Nazi concentration camps were being discovered, uh, sometimes soldiers would discover with those concentration camps Jews who were still alive in them. And when the troops made these discoveries, they they came across these Jews who'd been horribly mistreated and they'd been starved. And naturally, these these troops, the first thing, the first inclination they had was to give them some of the bread that they had with them in their packs. You know, the, the prisoners had been so severely starved that their bodies were just no longer capable of digesting that bread in any large quantity. They needed their stomach, their organs, to be built up again slowly. Eating a a lot of bread would have been lethal for them. They simply no longer had the capacity to eat that much. And you know, in our fallen condition, as human beings who are weakened by sin, we are like those prisoners who did not have the strength to eat a whole meal. We have been starved by sin. We've been starved by life in a fallen world. And although we're being renewed by the Spirit, we are not yet capable of eating the whole meal. We are not yet capable of experiencing the fullness of blessing that is ours in Christ. Friends, one day we will be. And on that day we will declare, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In the meantime, knowing that our blessing is secure in Christ in the heavenly places ought to give us strength to persevere through hardship and frustration because we know not to expect the fullness of our blessing now. And so we patiently wait, and as we do so, we turn back to the Lord in praise, and we bless his name. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you are the blessed God. You are perfect in every way. You lack nothing. And Lord, it is so difficult for us to wrap our minds around this because there is so much that we lack in our 
in our creaturely state and in our fallen state. We pray that you would indeed be renewing us day by day by your Spirit in the image of your Son, so that we might learn to bless your name, so that we might patiently wait to experience the fullness of blessing that is ours in Christ. So we pray that you might encourage us with these words this afternoon. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Trinity Church Chester Sermon Podcast. We hope that this message is a blessing to you. If you'd like to know more about the Christian faith and what it means to live as a Christian, please do get in touch. You can email hello at trinitychester.church or head to the Connect page on our website, trinitychester.church forward slash connect. We'd love to hear from you soon.